for listening to the digest this is episode 27 and the double feature for this week's show we got a pair of psychological thrillers psyche thrillies as i like to call them we're talking darren aronofsky's black swan and the master himself satoshi khan's seminal anime work perfect blue going to be huge can't wait to get into it let me introduce my co-hosts travis welcome how are you thank you doing well and paris hello hey there hi there ho there so these are your picks paris uh why don't you uh let the listeners uh know a little bit about uh your thought process why'd you pick these um have you seen are these first time watches set the stage for the listeners Sure. So um, I've seen both of these before. I think that (laughs) I will say we had some discussion on the last episode over whether these are actually horror or not. And I think that having rewatched these recently, obviously, I think that maybe they're not. And I think that maybe the first time or even second time I was watching these, I felt like they were. I will say, especially with Perfect Blue, I was uh, taking some extracurriculars. I was a little high when I watched it and I was very frightened. I was scared. And rewatching it uh, with a sober perspective, I will say it's maybe not quite as scary. I would say the same for both of them. They're maybe not quite as in the horror genre as I would have thought. But I really wanted to touch on Perfect Blue mostly. And then I feel like Black Swan is not a redux, a redo of Perfect Blue, but it it borrows heavily from it. Mm -hmm. So thought it would be a good pair i so it's funny you say that because i i was not aware of that fact that they were you know very similar and there's some some debate as to you know exactly how similar they are um which we can get into later but uh it was striking watching them together for this this episode they are uh there are some striking similarities i'll say between the two of them um, I, I, I'll disagree with you a little bit though. I, I, if, if I had to categorize them, I would categorize them as psychological thrillers, but I don't think it's a stretch for either of them really to call them horror movies. I mean, maybe not in the, in the strict sense, but I th- there's definitely elements to both of them. Um, especially in Black Swan, for me at least. I, th- yeah. And that's interesting because I felt more so in perfect blue i would agree i would agree with paris maybe it's the animation that's throwing me off but there's like some very obvious like horrific moments in black swan 
See, it's that I, I kind of agree with both of you. Um, and then we'll we'll, we'll get into uh, we're going to be talking about Black Swan first. But just while we're on this topic, I think Black Swan traditionally there are more th- like sequences you can point to as oh yeah that's a horror sequence i mean there's you know turning there's on the lights and there's a figure horror. in the background yeah yeah there's body horror like um th- that kind of stuff but i will say up front i find perfect blue to be the more unsettling film between the two me personally maybe that's why i i, I would say perfect blue is more i don't even want to see i don't even want to see more of a horror movie because i feel like that's not true but i me personally i was more unsettled by perfect blue than than black swan but we'll get into it that that, that's just to set the stage for this one so um we're going to be tackling black swan first so just to kind of uh lay some groundwork here um let me pull up the plot synopsis so i can uh, read this travis you had said this was what like a like a second or third watch of black swan for you uh i've probably seen it at least probably four or five times now saw it back in the theater when it was first released and then a few times on home video Hmm. um and paris you said you as well you had seen it two or three times over the years yeah i would say this is either my second or third watch it's probably been a minute since i've seen it um um and we actually we hadn't really talked about this yet i forgot to bring it up in our break but i kind of wanted to not just compare it to perfect blue but also maybe to aronofsky's other films like maybe do a quick what are our favorites? There is definitely a scene in Perfect Blue that is very reminiscent of a scene in Requiem for a Dream. Well, yeah, and I that's, mean, that's the thing. That is taken from Perfect Blue that's both in Requiem for a Dream and in Black Swan. Yeah, he... he Aronofsky... He loves this movie. Oh, dude, he loves <laughs> Satoshi and that's Khan. Why, and that's why I paired them together because I had always heard that Aronofsky had not stolen but but borrowed but you know had Heavily. done an homage to satoshi khan yes he so aronofsky acknowledges the similarities between black swan and perfect blue but claims that he, he's not stealing basically but with requiem for a dream he specifically got the f- the live action film rights to perfect blue with the specific intention of taking that scene the the bathroom scene bath bathtub scene so that was intentional he admits to that the the similarities between black oh, swan and perfect the bathtub blue. scene yes i was thinking of the like rape scene from the- Oh, with the... Uh, it felt very reminiscent of the ass-to-ass scene in Rec Room. Really? Okay. <laughs> that, oh, when yeah. we get I there, I would be very yeah. curious to... <laughs> no, because that's actually a very distinct scene for me in Requiem for a Dream, so I'd be very curious to hear when we get there. Yeah. 
we'll talk more about the ass scene later, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as we do on the show. Um, but let's settle down here. Okay, so Black Swan. <laughs> so um, this was this is interesting for me because I haven't seen it since it came out. And Travis, I actually borrowed your Blu-ray, and I had it for like a year mm. before I gave it back to you. Unwatched. Did you ever watch it? No, nice. unwatched. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't watch it. Um, I'm going to come right out of the gate and say Darren Aronofsky is one of my favorite filmmakers ever. Um, hey, we just spoke about this on the last episode, and you put him on your Mount Rushmore. He's on the Mount Rushmore. He's there. Uh, I haven't listened to the last episode yet. Who else was on your Mount Rushmore? Oh, it was huge. Well, yeah, I mean... You'll have to listen to the episode. We don't need to retry. We're not recycling. Uh, we don't recycle content around here. Okay, but. we definitely do, but whatever. <laughs> um, so Darren Aronofsky's filmography, The Fountain is my second favorite film of all time, only behind Santa yeah, New York. Settle down. The Wrestler, <laughs> incredible. It's you know in the top 15. If I had to rank Black Swan besides... Aronofsky's first film, Pi, which I'm, I don't particularly like, although I've only seen it once and it was a long time ago. I'm going to say Black Swan is Aronofsky's worst film. You're crazy. I'm starting. So I'm that's starting. Interesting. I'm you starting are there. Travis, <laughs> I'm curious as to where you rank it because I went through and ranked all of Aronofsky's films and I think it's either fifth out of seven or six it's probably tied yes. for six you are also yes crazy. honestly with noah it's probably tied for six out of seven with me with pi being the last place Hmm. honestly for me it might be one or two. Oh, barf here we go requiem would be the other what oh yeah I, i'm a requiem is by far requiem. his best film i also like the wrestler too but i just feel like like i like the story and like the content of the wrestler but i still think black swan might be the better film they're pretty similar though yeah. so that's very we'll talk interesting about that. because honestly i'm looking at my list right now and it goes requiem wrestler mother fountain black swan noah pie and i think that the wrestler so we we're gonna talk about this more i'm sure but honestly watching black swan in theaters i was encaptured i was fully 100 percent there i was into it it got me re-watching it either i think second third time maybe even fourth it didn't have the same momentum it didn't have the same oomph it felt are we very... doing this right now are we just matt and paris we're just gonna have we're just gonna turn on black swan here live on the show i'm not oh, turning God. on it i'm not fully turning <laughs> oh, yeah. on it i'm not saying i am by no means saying it was bad yeah okay yeah, let yeah. me put this yeah. differently let me let me start off differently i think it's tied for the penultimate aronofsky film he is one of my favorite film creators of all time i would say all of his movies are top for me so this is still like a high level movie. I just rewatching it, I found more flaws than I think I did originally watching it. And I think that watching it this time, I was, and I mean, I picked these, like I was really excited about this movie and I found it 
much less interesting this time. Mm. Yeah. So Travis, to, to piggyback on that, I, I don't dislike Black Swan. I do like it. It's just there are things that... So <laughs> where do I even start with this? I, I will say basically if it weren't for Natalie Portman's performance in this movie, I don't think it's particularly good. Like what? I do I really did do not find this movie tense. I do not find it that interesting thematically. I think it's well shot. Like I think he directs the fuck out of this screenplay. And I think Natalie Portman gives arguably her best performance. Are we are we really doing this right now? I thought this was just like a slam dunk. We're all gonna No, just... no fucking kumbaya around here, dog. <laughs> Honestly, Travis, I I was very with you. Like before this watch, I was like these are both great movies, blah, blah, blah. And then wa- re-watching Black Swan this time, I was like, is this the same movie that I watched before? Even? I... I was really taken aback. I am appalled. Please, yeah, please. So I'm curious now that you're, based on your reaction, so is is this your favorite Aronofsky film? Like, is this the end-all be-all for you? Well, like, I said it was either one or two, fighting with Requiem for a Dream. I did a 20-page paper on Working for a Dream in in a college course. Wow, not, really? Not that that has anything to do with the quality of the movie, but I did watch it a You lot care of enough times. to have chosen that film. <laughs> for, <laughs> well, for that. I, yeah, I think I had to like pick a theme, but then also tie it to some sort of media. And so I went with addiction and Working for a Dream. I mean, come on, talk about a slam dunk. Right. right? <laughs> Can't get easier than that. So, uh, so I, I mean, well, and Requiem was also one of those movies that was like one of the first like indie movies that people were like, oh, you got to check it out. It's like not a traditional movie and, you know, you're cool if you watch it type thing. Mm-hmm. But Black Swan, saw it in the theater, loved it then. Rewatched it a couple months ago for this show. Still love it. And so I'm just a little surprised to hear you guys kind of backpedaling a bit on it. I get you still like it, but I'm I'm hearing like hesitation or negativity in your response. Well, to be I fair, think- I've never championed this film okay. like it's, it's never been one that like <laughs> matt's been a hero since day one yeah dude <laughs> i had only seen it the one time and like this is it's not even but in this is the your conversation boy. For this me. is your boy like, it is <laughs> yeah and it's it's not even in the conversation like i don't talk about I, I, I don't talk about this movie. i disagree i think it's definitely in the conversation i think that it just i think honestly it's the reveal at the end the twist that really Knowing the movie go into going into it, knowing the reveal, takes something out of it. I think it does diminish the watching experience. And so when we when we say the reveal, are we just talking about like that the like the the Mila Kunis thing to her the Black Swan character, she actually stabbed herself and like is that what we're talking well, about I, in my mind it's really that the whole thing is in her mind that it's that whole barely, dynamic yeah that it's barely actually happening that 
85-90% of the uh, the conflict in the film is in her head and most of the interesting the body horror the climactic ending like most of the drama that happens is in her head but I think that on a rewatch it just didn't hit as much because I knew that was coming yeah that's fair there's the there's the shock factor on a first watch where it's like you feel like the rug's been pulled out from under you. So when you know that, I don't know, maybe there's less to it. Like when you remove the shock factor, maybe there's less to enjoy. Cause I, I felt that way. I, I found myself not being, uh, just, just the, like the, the horror sequences, like the tension, I just, it just really wasn't working for me. Like it's a lot of, Natalie Portman seeing Natalie Portman and then being like, "What? Double take? Oh no, never mind." Like, oh my God. I don't know. Coming from the guys, how many times are you going to go back to from the, the well? guy who gave Starry Eyes five stars? Oh like, yeah, Starry Eyes classic. <laughs> um, okay, we literally can't even talk oh, about that. I, I can't. I can't. We cannot bring up Starry Eyes right now. <laughs> but yeah, like though there's just something about like it's it's a well-made film I, th- I i think it's constructed in such a way that it's definitely interesting but i do think there's that element of like once you know what to expect like it loses something for me anyway that's how i felt rewatching it i do not feel that way mm-hmm. mic drop <laughs> <laughs> nope well, mic drop it sounds like I mean yeah it's I'm getting negative energy from both of you whether you like the movie or not on record or whatever whatever star rating you're going to give it I'm not I'm not vibing with your guys's takes or response or reaction to this at this moment. Well, that's so, fair. I think that personally what, what I think are we doing that here? I had, Well, I think that I had higher expectations because When I first saw this in theaters, I was blown away. To be fair, this is the first Aronofsky film that I saw in theaters. And I think it just, it struck me. And I think watching it this time, I was maybe comparing it to that first watch and that first feeling. And I didn't have that same, holy shit, what is this? I love this feeling. And so I think it kind of, it was another movie where I went in with a very high expectation from a first watch and then rewatching it either a second or third time. I was like, oh, it doesn't quite live up to my imagined expectations. Mm -hmm. Well, so let me, let me be a little. Where are we going with this? Where are we going with this? Let me be a little bit more specific. So I found that the execution of some of the themes were I mean Aronofsky is a is a filmmaker who his whole thing is like bombast you know what I mean like everything is like so elevated and often exaggerated the themes that he's going for of like you know the the patriarchy and power structures and commitment to one's art like it just felt so heavy handed to me. 
and not necessarily in a bad way. I just didn't find the commentary itself interesting. So when I was disengaged with the themes, when the 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 actual like tension of the film also didn't particularly resonate with me, I just felt a little cold. Like not that it's a bad movie. I just it's not. I, I just—it's not—it's not a bad movie. I think I just like Paris. Yeah. I like—I think I was just a little disappointed because I like—it's—it's—it's it's, it's heavy-handed in a lot of ways, and I'm gonna say straight up goofy in certain situations. Like for example, during the climax when she's back at their apartment and she goes into her mom's room and the pictures are like laughing, I laughed out loud. Like that was just so like as i said goofy like it, it that absolutely did not work for me and kind of broke whatever tension that scene had going for it just weird decisions like that they just oh man didn't A24 work 24 has just spoiled you <laughs> i'm actually gonna Turn disagree to with that from that aspect i didn't find the movie goofy I felt like the horror scenes really worked. Like when she is alone in the ballet studio and she comes across that like creepy demon bird figure, maybe having sex with Mila Kunis, maybe not probably in her head. Like that scene, like that really spooked me. And I definitely got, I definitely got like harsh, scary horror vibes from that, like that terror I think that what really, at the end of the day, I, I, I did like this movie. I, I, I think I'm coming across maybe too harsh. I did like this movie. I think that just from a first watch, I was really scared. And then this watch, knowing the beats that were happening, it wasn't as scary. Sure. But is that all we're basing this movie on is scariness so can you uh like explain <laughs> why you like this movie so much and be, what are we doing here guys what, what are we doing here <laughs> like what is it about this movie that, that you like so much i'm genuinely curious let me get into it matt yeah. i will plow through my notes <laughs> um first of all love the look of it love it the camera work some of the dance sequences the costuming Looks amazing. Yeah, I agree. The um, the whole like dichotomy or contrast or like trans- transformation of her character and like the whole white swan and black swan stuff, great. Because like the movie gets into how she's kind of like naive or innocent or childlike, even though she is an adult and like her mom babies her for sure yeah her mom babies the fuck out of her and like um i love their relationship in particular and i love her relationship with like her teacher the vincent cassell character like how she's always wanting to please them but then they're always like pressuring her to be better um yeah and just like how the movie deals with obsession with like perfection or like with your craft and how that can like take a toll on you and then i just i yeah i like the psychological aspects of it where like you don't know what is actually reality and what isn't i mean i think a lot of it's in her head 
and like plays into like the horror aspects of it. But I do find all of that stuff interesting. Um, love her transformation in general, just her character and how she is like auditioning for both parts and is aspiring to get both parts. I find all of that fascinating. Uh, I think they used the like the original music in, well, at least some of it, of the original Black Swan music. But I think the music in this is awesome, like the um, like swelling. I don't know. It's very like grandiose, but love the music. Um, is it is it Clint Mansell? I don't remember. I didn't look. Is it him? Because I mean, he's in well, a lot of Aronofsky. I stuff. think he. Yeah, I think he is responsible for some of the music, but I think. Some of it's either like original or remixed or whatever, but they use like original music from the Black Swan play. Mm-hmm. I will say, Travis, I think that like you were saying, like her growth from kind of an innocent, sheltered, childlike person to this very actualized, sexual adult being, I think that's probably the most interesting through line in Mm -hmm. the movie and i think that that's probably like the biggest like journey that we see i think that that's really where a lot of the the interesting parts of the movie focus on like her like her relationship with the ballet director where it suddenly is very sexual and she's coming into her own as like a woman versus like in the beginning when she like licks cake off her mom's like finger and it's very childlike and kind of gross and like you know it's very yeah i mean it's it's almost weird in a way like it's kind of off-putting because Mm -hmm. she is so like she she's like you know she plays it off as if she is a child or like that's like kind of what we're supposed to view it as but she's clearly like an adult you know doing her craft or whatever but like yeah there's like so much effort or time spent on her having this like childlike self to her and then like her trying to break free of that and I didn't even really like catch all of that the first few times I saw this but like it really hit this last time I watched it just like the the correlation between the the white swan and the black swan and then her being like a child going into like adult or womanhood right like that's and like really how rang true this time so maybe that's why i'm still pretty high on it like maybe you guys got that on a first watch in or like you know bored or not as impressed by it this time around but for me like i don't know i still think it's really strong and there's like yeah like you said matt it's kind of heavy-handed with its themes and aronofsky's kind of known for that but I don't think that necessarily makes it bad in a sense mm-hmm. or mediocre or wherever your stance is these days. Not, not even mediocre. I think I'm just like compared to like this movie is pretty beloved. Like I would bet that this is probably Aronofsky's most well-liked film. I would guess well i would say it's his most 
it was definitely his most like uh marketed, his most successful most for sure. like blockbuster style it's yeah his, definitely the it's most his successful. most popular according to letterbox whatever that means well probably i think it was it was really the most marketed and the most it's also like, ha- has the highest average rating on letterbox so that not surprised it made a shitload of money too it made like over 300 million which is crazy to think about because there's like a relatively big oscar campaign behind this movie too well and i would be like surprised if most people who've seen any aronofsky films have seen like they've probably seen like requiem for a dream and black swan and that's probably it yeah probably um so i think maybe part of the reason why it didn't resonate with me as much as it did with some other people is because I love the wrestler so much. I don't know how recently you guys have seen the wrestler, but black Swan has the exact same fucking ending as the wrestler. Did you guys realize that to an extent? Yes, I will agree with you. Um, (laughs) But black or black Swan is also borrowing heavily from the red shoes. Never seen the red shoes, but is it? But the thing with okay, the different. We don't need to focus on the red shoes. Who cares? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the The difference between Black Swan and the wrestler is like Black Swan. It more so has to do with like obsession to, to perfection, and then the wrestler is more so just like that's like all he has. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would. I I like. She, I know she, we keep comparing. I feel like she people. has more. I like. I, I, and I love the like. Um, I love that it's like a love letter to wrestling, and like I know like a lot of wrestlers go down like a bad path or don't really get like celebrated in the light that they should be. And like I know you're a huge fan of wrestling, Matt, so that's probably why that one resonates with you more. But like. I was also a huge fan of wrestling, so like I do appreciate those aspects of it. But and while I do think they are similar, I think they are slightly different in regards to the ending. They they are they are definitely different. What more so? What I'm alluding to is that both both of the movies are about commitment to one's craft, right, and putting your body on the line for for art. We'll call it. And the two the two films literally end ambiguously in the sense that you don't know if they live or die, and mm-hmm. it fades. The wrestler fades to black with the crowd screaming. Black Swan fades into white with the crowd screaming, and it's ambiguous as to whether they have survived their their last like you know moment yeah. of perform the, the the performance that's more mm-hmm. so what i mean and it's w- a million times more effective for me in in the wrestler maybe that's my own bias but i was very struck by the similarity i think that there are similarities but i think the stories that they're telling are one at the beginning of one's breaking into their career and broadening their career and becoming something and then the other story is one at the end you know, is, is really I also, like the aftermath. Yeah. I also yeah. feel like it's easier to like empathize with the wrestler because like he's a more human character and like, you know, you can kind of empathize with him on a more like literal level. This one is a little yeah. more like fantastical and 
like horrific where mm-hmm. you might lose some of that. So I, I, I agree with you in that sense where like the ending and the wrestlers are more effective, but that doesn't necessarily make this ending like worse as a result. It's not. Yeah. I, like uh, maybe it's coming across wrong. Like I don't think the ending of black Swan is bad. Like I still like it. I think I, w- I was just struck by how similar it is, especially because this movie came out two years after. Yeah, no, it was weird. And it's it was so similar. <laughs> like, and you know, part of like, I know he, Aronofsky himself acknowledges them as like kind of companion pieces in the sense mm-hmm. that they were both like very physically demanding, like of right. his, of his actors. Um, so like maybe it comes off as like me being turned off by the ending because of the similarity. I'm more so am just s- stating that it, it it just kind of feels like retreading territory for me that he did better in his previous film is is more so what I'm getting at. Not to say it's not effective. I would and I would probably ultimately agree with you, but I still love this movie regardless. <laughs> See cuz I didn't remember how the movie ended in my memory i don't know why this is but in my memory the end of the movie is her becoming the black swan you know in the sequence where she like literally becomes the black swan with like the full mm-hmm. wings and everything in my memory that's how the movie ended so when that wasn't the end and it's actually the wrestler ending i was like the fuck you know i mean it almost ends with that well, yeah, it's like two minutes prior. Come on, Matt. Right. Aronofsky is one of your Mount Rushmores. That's so, embarrassing. Not g- <laughs> you don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> kind of changing the topic a little bit, so uh-huh. steering away from Aronofsky as like a director as a whole. Some things that I was reading about Black Swan, because like Travis and I have seen this, like it's been like, what, two months or something crazy like that. So in the meantime, um, I read some things on it and... A lot of stuff was saying that they think that the mom sexually abused Nina, Natalie Portman's character. And I was curious as to y'all's thoughts on that. I don't know about all that. I just think she's like overbearing. And also there's like the line that she like gave up her career to like, you know, birth and child Natalie Portman's character. So there's like this like sense of guilt but I don't know if there's any like sexual stuff going on. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I'd be curious to know like what the people who have that theory, like what, what they're citing. Not that it matters that much. But I am curious though, but more so for me, check like, Trav- your sites. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm just curious. Cause like, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't get that at all. No, I'm, I'm, more so, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm more so just got that she's overbearing and she is, she's living vicariously through her daughter because she herself gave up her career and maybe resents her daughter. So she's like, right. Needs like for her own self needs her daughter to be like the best. Yeah. Like there's like that to, pressure to a detriment. Totally. Yes, I absolutely. Think that, I think that some of that comes through and maybe it's just like not sexual abuse, but just abuse in general where like, the the childlike aspect of Natalie Portman's character, the locking her in her room, the like lack of privacy, like when she starts masturbating and then she like looks up and her mom is there. Oh yeah, <laughs> like that is definitely like 
there's something wrong in that relationship and it's not just controlling it's not just living vicariously like that is something wrong there yeah well i think that's that that definitely lends itself to the the psychological like horror elements of the film the relationship with the mom because it's like it's almost like the, the mom is just like a like a constant like threat you know what I mean? Like the scene where she brings home She's the, the Mila Kunis character. Except I think that that is not real. I think that she doesn't really bring home Mila Kunis. Oh, she doesn't. I think... No, I know. She doesn't. Okay. Well, no. I mean, it's very ambiguous in the film. And so I wanted to ask you guys. Because oh. like my reading of it was that she doesn't actually bring home Mila Kunis. She's just. I think she just has a fascination. It is. Yeah. I read it as right. she just has a fascination because Mila Kunis because is Because Mila is, Kunis is, hot. is a sexual person who seems yeah. comfortable in her own body and confident. Yeah, but does Mila, and... Mila Kunis' character actually exist? Yeah, I think she does. I think so. I think she exists and that Natalie Portman's character is just putting a lot of like things on her. Like she's she's using this new attractive person to like what's it called like project a lot of things on her that's essentially how she becomes the black swan i mean she's that's the purpose of the character is is a conflict yeah like an internal she like aspires to be like that side of her but like is it really a fully formed person i well i mean other people do acknowledge her i mean (laughs) Vince, Vince, the director does acknowledge that she is the alternate. You know, and like, like other I characters think, do acknowledge her. And I even think that they did like go out together. Like I think that part is reality. Although that's definitely up to interpretation. Like a lot of the stuff. Oh. I just yeah, think I, that they didn't go home together. I don't think they, you know, had sex or were sexual together. Like I think. I guess what I'm trying to say Natalie is Portman's that head. Natalie Portman's character is. Not aspiring to be Mila Kunis's character, but she's aspiring to have that like side of her. Yeah, she unlocks. That's right. what unlocks that. it in herself because she is yeah. clearly sexually repressed. So she has mm-hmm. a, a fascination <laughs> <laughs> with Mila Kunis's character, and well, and that I think that is... goes back to like the childlike treatment, like of her mom, like children, like because she's treated like a child because she has to be this perfect. Uh, you know, what's it called? Like, chast uh, ballet dancer. It's almost like she doesn't have a way to explore that other side of herself. And so she meets Mila Kunis, who is a reflection of that other side of herself. Right. I mean, the submissiveness, being timid, well, like all of that stuff. Well, and Natalie Portman's character is kind of the representation of the white swan, and Mila Kunis's character is the representation of the black swan. Exactly. Right. See, this is what this is. It's all just, just fucking. He's working with a sledgehammer in this movie, all right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, and I, which is fine, but and and see, like I don't, I I think you're you're going a little harsh there. I don't think it's quite like yes. That is obvious, but I think there's also some nuance to be said there. Yeah. Oh, I'm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a movie that is is effective. I think just compared to his other works, there's there's not that emotional through line for me. I mean, you guys know I love that shit. So there's Mm -hmm. not there's not that aspect, and 
the you know the allegory the metaphor you know i mean we just had this conversation with men you know it's it's a little heavy-handed which is fine but the difference between black swan but at least and- it's clear <laughs> <laughs> it was just fair yeah I yeah mean, comparing it to men that's, that's fair <laughs> if we're gonna compare <laughs> that's that's totally fair but the difference with between men and this movie is that as like a, a thriller slash horror movie it doesn't work for me on that level and and men did like i i i was expecting to be like creeped out and i don't know what it was i just i don't i don't know if i like i feel like mother is a better example of aronofsky going Mm. full horror for me anyway um kind of off topic but i will say that um something interesting that i read about was um darren aronofsky tried to pit natalie portman and mila kunis like in real life against each other to try to get more of that in their performances but they were already friends and in fact mila kunis got the role because natalie portman like recommended her for it so they would respond with positivity when they heard the other one was doing well so it kind of backfired on him i'm glad you said that because i feel like we are one scandal away from aronofsky like <laughs> being straight up canceled like i'm gonna have to climb my mount rushmore I mean, and did, chisel I mean, his face out him, you know you brought up mother but like he did like sleep with with jennifer did, like, lawrence cheat and... on his wife with jennifer lawrence yeah, during yeah. that movie right i mean oh what God. a fucking moron the guy dated rachel vice for 10 years Matt like what an idiot it's i'm yeah it's <laughs> It's uh, precarious, but, you know. You know what I mean, though? Like, Aronofsky does not have a good reputation no, uh, as, yes. a, as a <laughs> as Well, a especially after talent. Mother. I don't know what you guys are talking about. He seems great. Oh, seems like a really cool guy, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but his but art... But to Matt's point, uh, he is... <laughs> He's uh, he's good. He shit. is one headline away from cancellation. <laughs> uh, but until then... Yeah, I, I mean, stand. I would think sarcastic. He's the goat. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He's the goat, and he's, he's he one bad scandal very, away from being sacrificed. He Sacrificial is a very, goat. very talented director that also is probably not a great person. Yes. A lot of the best are. I feel like Steven Spielberg is probably the one guy who's like, yeah, you're, you, you're probably as boring as you seem you are, you know? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Um, There's no way. He definitely has an island where he hunts humans. Oh, that guy fucks. Yeah. He probably has a sex dungeon um, <laughs> on his, his private islands. There's probably dinosaurs there, too. I don't know. <laughs> um, Let's go. <laughs> so, um, what else? Is that it? What else you guys got? Did you notice a young Sebastian Stan? As the suitor at the okay, bar. Okay, yes. yes. Yep. Sudden Sebastian Stan. <laughs> I that was fun. love him forever. <laughs> I was like, oh, I know that guy. Way before he was in anything recognizable. Yeah. So um I'm gonna I'm gonna use this, not that we're done, but I'm gonna I'm gonna use this as a slight segue. So one thing that <laughs> I find interesting. So this is the double feature. It's Perfect Blue and and Black Swan. They're both films featuring a a woman undergoing a sort of psychosis. And Mm -hmm. I found Black Swan to be much less interesting in that regard from a thriller 
perspective as far as like trying to determine like is this mm-hmm. real is this not real because i found it pretty obvious when something was fantasy and when something wasn't fantasy in black swan we spe- haven't got to perfect blue yet so no i know but know, i'm just whatever like, but I, I will no i will say that i agree with that that i think animation in general makes it more difficult to figure out what's real and what's not but i just i just feel like perfect blue is more concerned with like that concept of blurring the lines between reality and fantasy in black swan i just i don't know like during the like the whole climax sequence i was like like sure it's it's horrific and it's it's well filmed but i was like you weren't climaxing yeah you know I don't know what it was about it, but like I was expecting to love that that whole that whole scene where she's like really losing it, and it's it really becomes like a full on like horror movie, and I I mean maybe it's maybe it is just the the mom's paintings laughing that like really like turned turned maybe that colored my experience with that sequence, See, but I, for me it's like a nice you know nail in the coffin but it's not this like huge crescendo grandiose crazy ending that just like you know recontextualizes everything or like really hammers everything home it's just like a nice little end of the movie see it, it felt like it was <laughs> trying to be what you just described no yeah <laughs> but it wasn't <laughs> I mean, I don't like, I don't know, like the whole like her, uh, you know, killing Mila Kunis' character and like dragging her body in the thing. And then I also had an issue with the fact that she like removes the glass, but it's not until the very end that people notice she's hurt. Like there would have been blood everywhere when she pulled the glass out of that wound. Like nobody noticed she's covered in blood until it's over. Like I know that's a maybe a nitpicky thing, but. Yeah, we're not dealing with logic here, Matt. <laughs> Fucking psychological. You can't have that. Honestly, it's been like three months since I watched it. Like, I can't. I'm not even sure what you mean. Well, so she, uh, you think, well, maybe not you think, but there's the scene where she like, there's a confrontation with herself, you know, the movie's favorite thing. Natalie Portman sees evil Natalie Portman and they like get into a fight. And then it turns out she, you think that she stabbed Mila Kunis with the broken glass. And she like dragged her into her uh, bathroom in her her uh, green room, and then she goes out and does her first part of the Black Swan performance, and it's amazing. And you know, and she comes back to the room, and it never happened. Like there's Mila Kunis isn't in the bathroom. She comes and knocks on the door, and she's like, "Hey, I just want to say you were amazing." Like, you know, oh, what's going on? Is she crazy? Natalie Portman's crazy, you know, like that whole exchange. Like I don't know. Didn't do it for me. Yeah, I mean, I guess I meant, like, I do remember that. I just, the the, the specifics of if anyone would have noticed if she was bleeding or not, I didn't, like. Oh, because. Like Travis said, like, nobody cares. We're over it. <laughs> or fair, I guess. But this crossed my mind when I was watching it. Um, And then the other thing, and this is this is me being nitpicky, but I have to say it. Um. The ballet sequences themselves, like, I don't know. So you know how the black, the, when she's the black swan, the final performance, and 
just the crowd standing ovation people are losing their fucking minds it's like the rock just walked out and like everyone's like losing their goddamn minds like i don't i feel like he didn't earn it like that sequence yeah. wasn't buying it you ever I mean, seen the black swan seen ballet <laughs> maybe i just don't care about dance but like I yeah, was not I think, moved. No, I was not I, moved I'm by not, her performance. I'm not trying to be a dick, like Matt. Have you ever seen ballet? I've never. Well, no, not in person. No, I've never been. So to the that's ballet. kind of part of it. I think that like these are people going there for a ballet. She did a beautiful dance performance. You know, like it's different than like The Rock just appearing. Yeah, Matt. You know how excited you get opening up a new pack of Pokemon cards? Not everyone has that same feeling like if you're going there it's kind of like it's kind of like i went to an opera once and like i didn't like it or enjoy it that much because like i don't know what's supposed to be going on i don't understand but like i have heard people who like know what the opera is and so they understand what's happening and it's much more emotionally involved for them and they love it that's kind of ballet to me like if you know what's going on and if you appreciate it and understand what a good performance is you might be losing your shit. I so fair, fair criticism. I will say I was moved to tears by the season finale of season thirteen of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia when Mac performs ballet that with is that professional. Totally different, but it was because, so beautiful. No, no, the no. Dancing. But listen to me. Listen to me, Matt. Matt did you that... actually shed tear? Oh, big time. No, do you no, even no, know no. what I'm talking? Okay. About? Yeah. Oh, I, yes, yes, I do. Yes. But the thing is, that was different because you knew the message that he was trying to come across, right? You understood the context of everything that was going on. In a ballet, you, Matt, probably don't understand the context of everything that's going on, right? No, I, I get the point you're trying to make. I, I get the point you're trying to make. I'm just saying that didn't do anything for me is all I'm saying. <laughs> the dance that her that sequence like i know it's supposed to be like she's she's like possessed right it's like oh she's finally like embodying the black swan and uh, i don't i don't know didn't do it for me is what i, I like that's i put that on me sure but uh, maybe that's just part of why the climax of the movie and the wrestler works so much better for me. Cause I just, I get wrestling and I don't get ballet and like, that's on me. Sure. But all I'm saying is that it didn't work for me. It's what I'm getting at. All right, Matt, you hate this movie. Let's move movie on. Fucking sucks. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's <laughs> no, it's, move on. <laughs> um, should we though? Can we move on? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, love I mean, it. is there anything else that you guys want to mention before no. we do? Okay. Let's go. Uh, star ratings. <laughs> I'm a full five. Uh, 3.5 for me. You Shut up, crazy, Matt. Matt. How many fucking Shut movies up. do you give a free four stars and above? No. See, Zero. Travis, I have a very This different. one you're... This one you're a stickler on, like get real. not that good, bud. I am shooketh, Matt, because I am also giving this movie a three point five, and I feel like I liked it a lot more than you did. Well, I mean, we discussed this. Uh, Travis and I, in particular, have this thing where it's like when someone's creaming, the other one's got to be like, "Slow down, bud." You know, it's like come across as is maybe more negative well, than you think. 
real quick, hey, f- for the listeners, Matt, you logged this four stars as of yesterday, so you're coming down even Boom. more. You, no, Matt no, no, no. has it as what? four stars. Don't Matt listen wants... to him right now. Come on. No. Come on. False. Come on. If you look at my Come diary, Come on. it is zero. It's zero. I, I, I hid my rating. Four stars is my original rating. Of the okay, film. well, according to your diary... Oh, okay, 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 okay. You're just looking you're at my rating I of the film. Yeah, it's it is it was four. When I update it, it's gonna be three point five. Okay. All right. Well, fair enough. No, to I didn't fair, bump it down just to be a contrarian. You're so dumb. Uh, I thought that too. <laughs> to be fair, when I watched this movie, it was probably like at a four point five out of five. Like I was really stoked when I first saw this movie. Yeah, you guys know I love Aronofsky, so if anything, you'd think there would have been a bias bump here, but I am confused, but you know what? You do you, Matt. You guys, I realized they forgot to say at the top of the show what the theme even was. Oh, yeah. What Not is that it? anyone's listening anymore, but... Um, oh, people uh, on the edge of their seats. <laughs> <laughs> um, the theme is stage fright. That's what I was going for. Mm. <laughs> Very nice. I like it. That's pretty good. Would have been better at the top of the show, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Better late than never. Yeah, it would have been better at the top of the show. Also, you can watch Black Swan on Hulu and Perfect Blue on Vudu or, you know. <laughs> I, I do, to be fair, I do think you mentioned that in the last Digest episode when we announced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that was like eight months ago. So. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for Black Swan. Let's move into part two of the double feature. So we're going to be talking Perfect Blue. Uh, the Satoshi Kon animated film. Uh, plot synopsis. A pop singer gives up her career to become an actress, but she slowly goes insane when she starts being stalked by an obsessed fan and what seems to be a ghost of her past. So, Perfect Blue. We've all, we've all had seen it before. Uh, for me, I saw it for the first time maybe, I don't know, eight or nine months ago. And uh, it snuck its way onto my top 100 films of all time. I loved it that much. So I was excited for a rewatch. Um, what did you guys think of Perfect Blue? Whoever wants to go first, just speak up. Matt, wasn't it recently in your um, favorite films top four on Letterboxd? Yeah, I was messing around. Wow, top four. Well, not liter- not actually a top four, but you know, I, I sometimes mess around with a. My favorite films on there, mm-hmm. but yes, it was it was relatively recently on there. Looks like you went back to the uh, the, the true the true top four, yeah. <laughs> the ones that Matt will not stop talking to everyone about since 2015. Yeah, I, I texted uh, Travis and and Kyle uh, a joke when I was super stoned about my top uh, movies and totally ignored by the both of them. So I cried myself well, to sleep that night, but. I didn't fully get what you were saying. That's why I didn't respond. Maybe because you were high. But I did appreciate Okay, I need, not necessarily right this very second, but I need at least one of you to read that verbatim on air because... I've got it right here. (laughs) All right, I've got it right here. Um, So I sent them a screenshot of my favorites, and I'll, I'll say what they were. But I said, in honor of The Bachelor, I've perfected my... You already lost me. (laughs) (laughs) Already lost you? 
Yeah. You, it was your bachelor weekend. Oh, Matt. Well, I don't watch The Bachelor. Not the TV so. yeah, show. Just I was talking oh, about no. you, Travis. No, it obviously seemed like you met The Bachelor this show. Like, they were at a honest. fucking bachelor party. Hey, Are you but, kidding me? But Kyle oh, loves trash dude. reality TV oh just like you. Also, Matt so I was confused. Matt, trash reality. So, yeah. I, I do. I do. Bachelor the show. But come on. It was your. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. Anyway, so I said in honor of The Bachelor, a.k.a. Travis, who was on his fucking bachelor party weekend, in honor of The Bachelor, (laughs) I've perfected my quote, if I were still on Tinder, I would use this to try to get me some film. (laughs) What was that? Matt's embarrassed. said i would try to use this to get me some film girl lussy <laughs> letterbox Yikes. favorites i would try to use this Ew, to get me matt. some film girl lussy no you, stop repeating favorites. it matt it's so oh gross like and he's surprised so why neither that. of us responded honestly i'm so embarrassed for you matt that you said that to travis and kyle well, they're off having the time of their life, and you're like making some gross, high-ass comments about film girl. Let's see, Travis. Honestly, thank goodness you didn't respond. Matt needs to be shamed for that. That is so weird, Matt. What the fuck? So the, the movies in the screen capture. I I literally updated my favorite so I could. Do you're this. so. Oh my god! Like I'm so embarrassed. This is I like I consider you one of my best buds but i'm like so embarrassed for you like this third hand embarrassment this was never meant to be public this was me and the boys bachelor weekend i was not able to make it the boys because they didn't respond (laughs) (laughs) different conversation but the favorites were the fountain cold war all that heaven allows and before sunset i don't know why i thought not even perfect blue well, like, you know, that's... Honestly, Matt, I'm embarrassed for you. Oh, fuck. How do we get here? Anyway. <laughs> Top four. <laughs> oh, that's why we're, that's why I came up. Okay. Um, God, I got sweaty. Um, oh, you should be sweaty <laughs> after that. <laughs> you were probably sweaty when you oh, sent it, you fucking man. creep. God damn. <laughs> Woof. Oh my god! All right. Well, now that that's public, um, <laughs> Cre- creepiest man of 2022, Jeffrey or Matt? Oh no! <laughs> I can't. Honestly, Matt, that was so gross. Uh, I can't. I was, just, I was so embarrassed. I read oh, what no. I said, but you know, it's content. You know. Yeah. You do it for do it for the check out check out our Patreon for only ninety nine dollars a month where you can get all of Matt's gross texts. Oh fuck! No, no one wants that. (laughs) Um, perfect blue. Somebody, (laughs) I open it up. I don't know how we got here, but somebody talk about perfect blue, please, God. (sighs) Wait, did you do the did you do the description? The plot synopsis, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we I did all that. Really? We did the intros. I set the stage. <laughs> I, I, I can't remember anything. I threw the ball up for the layup, and somehow we got here. I just, I just can't remember anything past your gross text. Um, yeah. So, um, 
I will say, full disclosure, the first time I watched this, I was tripping my balls off. And so this was the scariest movie I'd ever seen. Watching it sober, (laughs) it was less scary, but still very interesting and creepy. I think it's really... It's... it's, uh, Talking about men on the other podcast, it's almost like what... I think men wanted to be where it's a it's a man taking a very valid and interesting look at some of the creepiness and kind of unfortunate horror that comes with being a woman. And especially a woman in this case in the public light. I thought that was really interesting. Mhm. It's yeah, I also found it very interesting that like she starts she starts to film as a pop singer in like a a a a, a girl band basically, so like a pop yeah, group. Yeah, pop idol. Mm-hmm. And every single person in the audience is a man. There's right. not a single woman in attendance right. that first show, which is crazy to me because you you don't typically associate I mean, maybe it's a Japanese culture thing, but you wouldn't typically associate a girl pop group with male fans, not in that, not in that sense in that, like everybody who's at the concert is a man and not just, it's not young boys either. It's like, like full grown pervy, full grown men. Right. And I think that's kind of like, it's more so unlike in reality in which there'd probably be a lot of kids and a lot of women there, you know, more of a mixed pop idol girl band. I think it's showing like how, those kind of groups get kind of perverted by the male gaze. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, they're all wearing fucking like short pink, like almost tutu looking dresses. You know what I mean? Like very ballet outfits, black swan. (laughs) It's yeah. And like what I find so interesting about this movie is just like, how on the edge of my seat I was both times watching it. Like, I I don't think I can think of a, a movie that does a better job of, like, making the concept of blurring reality and fiction and, like, the idea of, like, a psychosis and, like, a, a, a break where and the character, well, I guess the narrator will call her, or protagonist is is the right word is just like so detached from reality that as the audience you can't make heads or tails of like what if what you're seeing is actually happening like up until the very last moment of the film which we can talk about i think the movie is constantly pulling the rug out from under you like finally when you think there's a moment of truth and something is being revealed the camera like the camera will zoom out and it's actually a tv show that's being recorded you know like time after time every time you think you're finally approaching truth Mm -hmm. and even right and you still never like i feel like it's in certain situations it's it's ambiguous like i i do think by the end of it specifically like the very end like the way I interpret that is like an exclamation point on the truth, reiterating like, you know, what happened at the end of the film. But really, 
the whole journey up to that point, it's like you really don't know what to believe, who to believe, whose perspective we're seeing. Like it's really a mind fuck movie in the true sense. And I was again on a rewatch just in awe of it. Just its construction is just insane to me. It's mind blowing. It's masterful, I think. No thoughts? Uh, I agree with you. I like Whoa. this movie quite a bit. Uh, probably went up for me a little bit on this most recent rewatch. Well, you logged it as a four the first time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if mm-hmm. I'm full, but, you know, we're getting there. <laughs> um, yeah, just, I mean, to piggyback on a lot of the stuff that Matt just said, um, it is definitely a mind fuck of a movie and um, it's hard to really decipher what is actually going on or what is reality and what is not. But I, it's not like too confusing where it like completely loses you or, you know, like I feel like you kind of catch up by the end of it and can kind of make sense of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's just a lot of things that I do like about this, like the whole like theme of like celebrity and fandom and how celebrities can be treated like props or objects and like even the um the shot of the the guy, the mister whatever, the creepy dude, the shot of him like holding his hand up but then uh Mima is like in his hand some great symbolism there oh yes yeah i know what you're talking about now yeah that was really good and um similar aspect to black swan i know this movie did it first but we didn't really touch on this aspect but uh this movie kind of has that aspect of um oh god what's her name in black swan uh renona wider or renona wider <laughs> <laughs> Renona, Winona Ryder. Yeah, Beth, uh, <laughs> I think, is the character's name. Um, just how, like, yeah, in this movie, you know, the, the main character and her manager, it kind of has a similar relationship to Natalie Portman and Winona Ryder's character in Black Swan, how, like, she's, like, the former pop star and is kind of envious and jealous of the, like, current new pop star. And... um yeah, I don't know. There's just like a lot of great like symbolism or like themes in this. Like um even like them touch I don't even know if he was like fully aware of what he was touching on, but like the whole aspect of the internet and like people's online personas cuz internet seemed to be pretty yes. infant when this movie was created, mm-hmm. but I feel like internet in today's realm like very well plays into what this movie is trying to like portray like even on like on a non-celebrity level just like on a like personal or human level like how you represent yourself and how you want to be viewed as in the the light you know of stardom or the internet i thought that was particularly particularly interesting Mm -hmm. um yeah there's some other stuff but um yeah i agree with matt it is pretty masterful well since you 
Oh, just real quick, Paris. Um, I just wanted to say, since you brought it up, this the scene um, where she first goes to uh, Mima's corner and like the progression of the horror of her reading what's on that site. Cause it's like, at first she's like, Oh, the whole, this is awesome. Like someone, some fan is like, you know, following my life. <laughs> right. And just like, as it progresses and the way the, the, the voice actress like reads the line, like you just see the creeping terror as she's like reading the specificity of like the type of milk that she bought at the store. And right. Stuff. As she's like, realizing there's clearly someone stalking her. So and... good. So horrific. Like I was like, I got like the tingles watching that. I was like unnerved, you know? Anyway, Paris, go ahead. You were about to jump in there. Yeah, um, I actually thought, Travis, it was interesting that you mentioned, like, the early days of the internet, like, how you present yourself online, because it kind of reminded me of, like, there was a time where it felt like if you were a person online, there was an element of safety in the early internet days, and obviously that's not totally accurate, but then there was also, like, being, and then later, being a woman online like I I'm not a famous person I wasn't even like whatever but like even I had like fake profiles of me made and I think that's very common for a lot of women of like fake profiles or people perceiving you as a specific way online or and obviously even more so in this case where the person is, is has a level of fame and I think it's I thought it was a really interesting like watching it this time from less of a horror perspective and more of like a how women are perceived in the public eye perspective I thought it was really I don't know I thought it really hit on that 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 feeling of terror where anyone can be like terrorizing you but from a distance mm-hmm. well it feels it feels very prescient like this interpretation like it was like the cusp of like the ubiquity of the internet right like this movie came out in 97 so this would have been like right around the time that it was becoming more mainstream to like go online and like have a presence but the fact that it just like so perfectly encapsulates like obsession of fandom and like just even in its early stages like the notion of like people who are just because we we overhear multiple characters talk about looking at Mima's corner right right like just I mean you go on Twitter now and there's people with fucking Harry Styles profile pics that just like are constantly looking for any piece of information they can get their hands on about Harry Styles, <laughs> what who he's seeing, some one picture. Of those he has a, very, a Harry Styles fan. I have account. an alt account. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, a Finsta that's all yeah. about Harry Styles. But you know what? I mean? Like that was. I mean, that movie that was twenty five years ago. Nineteen ninety seven was twenty five years ago, and the fact that it just like it it just feels like almost. Oh, what's the word? Not premonition. Like a. Um, almost like it was predicting the future that we're in now. Like, not to say that like mm-hmm. that didn't exist at the time. I'm sure it did, but it just feels so impactful. You know, like even though there's like the there's like the weird 
the weirdness of like her character being like the internet what's that and like you know having to teach her you know that almost leads to it more where it's like even though it's so early in the internet days like 97 like i'm sure there was most people didn't quite know how to use computers or the internet right right right. but like even in that early stage of those forms of the internet like she's still vulnerable and there's still someone who can probably even more so pretend that they're her and sort of take over her life in that way right yeah it just i i'm more so as just getting at it it feels like watching it now like I'm not going to call it dated, but it's like, I mean, she gets a fucking fax. Like, <laughs> that's like a man. Oh, that's like a okay. plot point. Did, she gets I a fax, you know. <laughs> people having fax machines in their home. I was like, was that real? Did we got to talk about We got to talk about the fax machine scene real quick, though. Which one? When, well, the first one. Okay. When she gets that first fax, it's like the sound of the fax machine, but then it turns into like score. Oh yes! Oh my God, the score is amazing. That was incredible. Just the way that that sound turns into like score, but then that like fax machine sound is the score. I thought was incredible. I didn't catch it the first time, but when I was rewatching it, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that transition. Oh yeah, huge ship. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, Paris. I'm guessing you were about to say the score slaps is what you were about to say yeah i mean i don't really have too much to say about it other than it fucking rules like the the theme i can't quite where it goes you know like where it goes throughout whenever it always feels like it comes in whenever something is kind of amiss that that theme that comes through i loved that and i think it's really prevalent in the um the sequence where it's going through where you're not sure whether it's real or a dream or the tv show that she's on or her imagination that sequence it goes through a lot and in the end in the end chase scene it's just it's fucking fantastic and um yeah, I really liked it. <laughs> that fucking chasing. I absolutely adore the choice to have that that version of Mima like yes. being able to like float. It's like she's like pr- and, like the chase is so And you see it so... in the mirror where Remy is really like running and and sweating yeah. and panting, but like her vision is like the this other version of Mima, like it's still kind of like is this really happening? Mm-hmm. It's it's horrifying. Like that that whole sequence. Like that's when I like when I said earlier that I find Perfect Blue like scarier than yeah. Black Swan. That's exactly what I'm getting at. It seems like that. And well, it's... because earlier then you're like, oh, was that really her uh, her other self, this imagination person, or was that really this other totally different character? Right, because it's still so unclear. I mean, I feel like up until the last scene of the movie where we literally go to the mental hospital years later, it's uh, even up until that point, it's still unclear if that's really what happened. So it's not until that last scene at the hospital where it's and like, honestly, okay. Even then, it's hard to tell. Like, is that reality or is that her just projecting? Well, so I wanted to talk about that. So how did you guys read? Because the, the, the last moment of the film is... Uh, M- Mima in the car 
And she looks in the rear view mirror and she goes, nope, I'm real. And that's how it ends. And it's like, play, it, it, like I do believe that like it's i think fucking that's there. with you <laughs> it, but yeah, exactly like it's that's the truth but it plays like one last mind fuck right just because it's like it's almost played it's not played for comedy but it's yeah like, well something even in even the music it. that follows it in the credits it's yeah like, wait what <laughs> oh my god it's like and a the music whiplash. is so upbeat and you're like hold on <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. but like to, to end the movie that way where like, I think the movie is saying literally, like, nope, I'm real, but you could view it as, like, wait, what? Is it not? Just because the tone, right? Like, yeah. For, for, <laughs> for well, her... and because she's suddenly speaking to the audience when she hasn't before. Right. It's like breaking the fourth wall. She's looking in the camera, and like the tone of her voice is like, nope, I'm real. Like, it's so strange. Yeah, like, but... matter of fact, or like. <laughs> It's so weird, yeah. But I mean, you guys. I mean, you guys would agree that we're meant to believe that it was the the manager the whole time. She was the one committing the murder. She was the one sending the messages to uh, Mimania. I think is the creepy guy, like the stalker's name. So yes, and then I think that the visions of the other Mima. I think that are in that is. Uh, in the imagination or in the head of Mima. Right. Like it, she is still experiencing the psychosis, but the reality of like the crazy shit that's happening, the letter bomb, the, the pizza man fucking ice picking the, the uh, photographer in the apartment. Like that is really happening. That stuff. But it, it's the, yeah. And I, I'm not sure if that's actually, Rena, Rima, I forget her name, but the the agent manager person, I I'm not sure if that's her or the creepy guy, Mimania. What well, do you guys think? I don't really. That's one thing I don't really know how to interpret because I the face is so like androgynous. Like there's no detail. You don't see homeboy's wonky eyes or like his creepy smile you don't see you know it's just okay. like he is so creepy from the very beginning Can so I just, creepy i, I almost just feel like that's just like a, like a like a like a deep fake or whatever like or like a not like a what is the term like they're trying to fake you out yeah not like a red herring but something like that where it's so it seems so obvious that that's actually the the thing mm-hmm. you know the evil or whatever but turns out it's not well yeah i mean, I mean the whole movie he does have like, like this guy is creepy yeah and i'm not saying he's like a redeeming person or character or whatever but you know there's more to it and then there's like a twist essentially at the end mm-hmm. right when you find out it's actually like the agent manager person yeah right but i mean I I think it's so masterful how it weaves these sequences of like I alluded earlier to the fact that there's moments where you feel like you're getting some moment of truth and then because of the, the TV show that she's on and then it goes take two yeah exactly again. over and over and it's like explicitly about her right like the TV show feels like 
they're talking about her character and sometimes they are sometimes well, because they aren't and they, there's two shots of the finale of the tv show where they use her real name they say mima mm-hmm. and yep. then there's the second shot where they use her character's name and you go oh that may be the first time was just in her head mm-hmm. or what's going on but you don't know as it's happening like even re-watching it i was like right what the it's definitely fuck? i think on a rewatch it's easier to because you know what how it's going to end but it's still very unclear what is real and what is not and still super engaging like yes. i think comparing bringing this back to black swan like it's less engaging when you know how it ends I didn't have that experience at all watching this a second time. I mean, granted, I just saw it, you know, not that long ago with Black Swan. It had been years. But if anything, you would think that would make it more effective just because the amount of time that had passed. But it wasn't like I was still finding myself like completely absorbed and like on the edge of my seat. Just like even though I knew I, I remembered the ending, I was still just like. This is crazy, you know? Speaking of Black Swan, did, I, I didn't catch this until, like, my, my most recent watch of Perfect Blue. But I thought it was interesting where she, like, kills Rima with the shard of glass. And it's kind of like the reflection just, like, in Black Swan where she stabs yep. herself with the shard of glass. And I kind of felt like that even played back into, like the larger theme of the movie of both movies where it's like reflection as self like what is real is is the person real who i am or is it the person that's reflected back to me yeah yeah that dichotomy that that back and forth for sure also in relation i mean not as not as a profound um correlation as that but um paris we usually lean on you for this kind of stuff but um perfect blue Main character's name is Mima. Main character in Black Swan, Nina, Nina. with two N's. Oh, yeah. And is it Nancy? (laughs) (laughs) I think it was, Matt, you said earlier that you think Aronofsky didn't know what he was doing. I think he knew full well what he's doing because he's acknowledged Perfect Blue as a serious influence. A nice little touch to the uh, character or name Nina in Spanish. That means little girl. Huge. Nina, yeah, very huge. I think like the childlike, and honestly, probably similar with Mina, where it's like this childlike. It's it's a very similar structure where it goes from a childlike sense of being, where she's like a pop idol and she's very innocent, or she's like a ballerina, but she's very living with her mom, and then it goes to like very extremely like. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, being an adult—like it's—it's very extreme mm-hmm. in its yeah. entities too. I don't—I don't know if this was intentional. Probably not. But um, I got like these times were a change in vibes while watching this movie. Um, because they mentioned like record sales are down, but then like the internet is becoming more popular, and it seems like—and I'm not saying this is like fully true or f- true of everyone, but like. Um, it seems like the the characters or the people in the movie were like more interested in like the image than the actual like art or content of the celebrity or you know artist or whatever. totally yeah yeah which is very which is very true of like today's like 
pop icons and stuff. I mean, it's not like, you know, a one-to-one because I do think there are like popular artists who still make great art, but I do feel like some of that has been lost over the years and we yeah. get like kind of obsessed of, over the wrong things. I mean, so, like, like what you like, but I'm just throwing yeah. that out there. <laughs> I think it's interesting that you mentioned that because kind of like wrapping it in with Perfect Blue, like how like, especially being like a woman putting yourself out there. I saw something recently that was like a bunch of people were like, I, I, and you know, this is kind of a random example, but Billie Eilish is, you know, a pretty big pop here we go you know, singer and um she you know when she turned 18 she kind of changed her look a bit got a little more evocative whatever and then since then she's kind of gone back a little bit more to her original look and there was um kind of a backlash from some men online who were like why classic art... men yeah you know men <laughs> men um, being men <laughs> Who are kind of like, oh, why are you back to your, you know, baggy clothes? You look so much better before, blah, blah, blah. And I, it was really interesting because I hadn't listened to her new album, but I guess she actually even has a song on there addressing it. I forget what it's called. I'll find it. But I listened to it and I listened to the lyrics. and It was really, it felt very prescient for this movie that came out in 1997, this song that came out in 2021, you know, 15 years later, or 25 years later, excuse me, where it was like, oh, shit, this is like how society, not just men, like society at large, like, view people in the public eye, where it's like, if they don't live up to the image that you expect of them or want from them, they're doing you a disservice, or they're not doing it right. Mm -hmm. Well, what's interesting about perfect blue in particular is that the stalker is like obsessed with like her purity and he's like outraged right. by like her, the turn of her like it's like the other way like the hypersexualization of her post pop star like the scene where he like buys up all the fucking magazines <laughs> and the whole you know oh he's got God. a whole apartment full of magazines <laughs> where like. she has like her her, her nude pictures yeah spread out. exactly he like buys them up and he like murders the people who you know, he ends up killing or maybe not him but we just had that conversation about whether it's him mm -hmm. or not but like the photographer ends up getting killed the the direct the, the writer of the the shitty uh you know TV drama that she's on like it's interesting that he is advocating for like preserving the purity I think that also has to do with some with Japanese culture uh, compared to American culture and how women are viewed well and also just like sexuality in general is a little bit more uh totally uh you know, they're even more prudish in, um, in Japan than than we are here, you know. Right. Uh, also, the song that I was referring to is called Not My Responsibility off of Billie Eilish's new album. And there's some lyrics where she says, like, about my body, some people hate what I wear. Some people praise it. Some people use it to shame others. Some people use it to shame me. But I feel you watching. Like, I just feel like it's crazy that here we are 25 years later and the themes of this movie still feel so valid impression and accurate it's kind of wild mm -hmm. well and what's interesting on that note with this and black swan is like this like the 
sexualization of of young women right because that's present in black swan too there's a conversation early on where some of the dancers are talking about like you know uh the director like you know being obsessed like if you sleep with him right that and also just there's a there's a i don't know if it's made explicit but it's like a younger the better kind of thing you know beth is old and it's like who's the the hot young thing that's gonna come in and just like that and that's the crazy thing she's quote-unquote old but i think in the movie she's like 30 or something wild like something where i was like oh no <laughs> like it, it it felt very i don't remember exactly it's been a bit but i remember hearing her actual age and i think it's like 32 and i was like okay that's not old but in ballet that's a very common thing you're talking about uh, uh, Renona Wider's uh, character. <laughs> <laughs> That's who you're talking yes. about, right? Yes. I mean, not how actually old she actually is, but I think in the movie she's supposed to be like 32. She's yeah. I think there's some reference to her being in her 30s, <clears throat> past I mean, her I, prime. I just remember <laughs> that, like in in ballet specifically, post 20 you're kind of seen as you're done, which is wild. Right. They view her as like ancient, basically like the other dancers. Even right. View her like as she's like in a her, dinosaur. she's right. Exactly. And it's wild. Cause she's not. Well, to be fair, Paris, uh, most running backs in the NFL, when they hit age 30, they're considered done for. Totally. I'm not just saying it's women. It's definitely no, in other things like ballet and, and a lot of sports. And I just, as people on this podcast who are all 30 or older, I just feel like it's yep. kind of wild <laughs> for us to look at someone who's supposed to be in their 30s and be like, oh, that person is so fucking old. Like, yeah. yikes. <laughs> Over the hill. Jesus. <laughs> Retire I'm, already. I'm, and to be fair, I'm just 30. So I am the youngest on this podcast. I, uh, I yeah, I live with. There. I live with this every day, Paris. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, wow, this is a long one, guys. Any? Uh, I, I knew we'd have a lot to talk about. Um, anything else that we want to mention before we wrap this one up? Or are we good? We want to do some things and close so. it out. I have one other quick thing. It's not really yeah. even something to mention. I was just curious. Have you guys have both seen Moon Knight now? The no. TV show? Yeah. No. No? Okay. Um, well, when you watch it, um, I've, I've watched the, the whole thing, and I just, there were some interesting, um, it felt like Moon Knight took a couple nods from Perfect Blue, and I would be interested to hear what you guys thought when you watch it. Ooh, interesting. Mm. I'll get around to it. Only Specifically, of like, Hawk. shots and when he looks in the mirror and stuff. Hey, how much Ethan Hawke am I going to get? Is it even worth oh, my time? Oh, so much. So much? Okay. So much Ethan Hawke. All right, I know. Like, maybe too much in my book, but whatever. No, stop. No, no such thing. He's old now. He's, like, 32. So? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. He's, like, in his 60s. <laughs> oh, Jesus. 60. <laughs> Is he not? No. I would guess 50s. Probably early 50s, yeah, if I had to guess. But I don't have to guess. I have fucking the internet in the palm of my hand now. He is to... 51 years old. Yeah. Yeah. That that's in right. his 60s. I'm going to tell I'm going to DM He'll be him 52 on Twitter and tell this year. That's almost in his 60s. I will I'm probably clo- closer than in his 30s. I will probably watch the rest of Shitoshi Khan's filmography before I watch Moon Knight. <laughs> oh, you don't you don't have much 
to to go. I mean, he, no, I he was taken. Um, Millennium actress or Paprika? I've seen Paprika. Would like to rewatch it, but did like it a lot. Uh, sure. Still need to watch the rest. Though. I've only seen the two. Perfect Blue okay. and Paprika. I think the only one I haven't seen of the big four are Tokyo Godfathers because I tried to watch it when I was inebriated um, uh, and it was too scary. So I think I'm going to have to watch it sober. He only made bangers. Like literally, but only bangers. Super sad. Died at the age of 46 due to pancreatic cancer. I know. That is a tragedy. And after making Paprika too, like that movie, talk about like having an influence on, on the culture. Like he's made See, several films that have been hugely influential, both yeah. in and outside of anime. It's crazy. I would say though, his favorite of mine is Millennium Actress, and it's probably because it's the only one that's not frightening. <laughs> it's, yeah, that movie also very much deals in, like, blurring the lines between reality and, and fiction. Well, and that that's part I love. Thing. I love the unreliable narrator. I love the you're not sure what's real or not. I just, that one feels nicer, mm. if that makes sense. Well. Wouldn't watch it on this show. It's it's amazing. Yeah, you don't you don't have too many to watch. I mean, it's Perfect Blue, Millennium Actress, Tokyo Godfathers, and Paprika. Like that's it for for feature films. He did a TV show too. I haven't watched that yet, but um, Paranoia Agent was his TV show. That man Kurt respected the runtime, and we have to commend him for it. <laughs> we have to, and we will. Yes. <laughs> Uh, okay, you guys ready for star ratings? Yes, sir. It's five banger for me. Paris? Sorry, I was having a hard time unmuting. It's also a five for me. I'm very tempted to go five, but... Do it! Five, 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 five. <laughs> mm, I'm going to go 4.5 for now because I got to rewatch uh, Save it for the... <laughs> The third, one. I have okay. the third Paprika one. Paprika at a four point five, and if I re- watch that again and like it m- even more, then you know. Uh, you should watch Millennium Actress. I'm very curious. Yeah, it's going order from Perfect Blue. Yeah, I've been interested in checking that out. It's a banger. more so than Tokyo Godfathers. I mean, obviously, I want to check that out too, but. Millennium Actress has been on the list. Just haven't prioritized it for whatever Travis, reason. I would be shocked if you didn't like it. Yeah, I agree. Tokyo Godfathers is also very good. Uh, it, I will say it's his least um, uh, weird movie. Like that one's pretty straightforward. But Is it sad? Because I good. started to watch it and it was too sad. It is, yeah. I stopped uh, watching it. That's probably his, uh, his <laughs> Kurt and I did turn it on the other day and I was like, uh-uh, too sad. So the first sentence says during a Christmas Eve in Tokyo uh, of the synopsis on Letterboxd. Is this a good Christmas movie, Matt? Um, I had forgotten it's set at Christmas. So, All right. Well, it's probably a Christmas movie like how Die Hard is a Christmas movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Fair yeah. enough. That one's much more grounded in, um, in realism than his other movies. But yeah. It's pretty sad. It's very, it's pretty sentimental, but very very good. Anyway, all right. Are we done? We're done, Travis. Uh, do you want to let us know what the next uh, feature is? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, are you guys ready to cancel me? I've been ready. Never not ready. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going with the boy, <laughs> Roman Polanski. Oh, I was right. I thought you were oh, joking. Oh, no. Travis, I was. No. I was. <laughs> Wait, so I what? Don't know, I don't know if we should. should uh, <laughs> I'm not going to cancel you, but I really don't want to watch this. Well, it's either a double feature of Roman Polanski or Eli Roth. I'll let Matt take the pick. I would do Eli Roth, but you I know would. Matt would not. <laughs> um, well, what were the movies you were planning on picking? Is it Repulsion or uh, Rosemary's Baby and Repulsion, or, or yep. what were you going to pick? Those mm-hmm. are the ones. Mm-hmm. They're both made in the '60s. Both kind of similar. Same director. I don't have a great theme or you know a little catchy tagline for our show, but. You just like I doing really, uh, director double features. I really do. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. No, I've Did I really want to. Director double I features. I really, really want to watch Rosemary's Baby again. Okay. I'm down. So. I'm down to do it. I. Uh, we don't yeah, have to obviously. say his name. <laughs> On the show. <laughs> we'll just talk the films. No mention of the man. We can say Rosemary's <laughs> Baby, directed by Redacted. Yeah, we'll just we'll use we'll just use someone else's name like as a placeholder, like or Woody we Allen. Just call like him in, like a, we like could just pen. call him a a pedophile <laughs> asshole and and instead of that, right? So. A rapist. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Oh yeah, we can shit on him all we want, but um, <laughs> I would like to talk about these two movies in particular. Wait, so it was Rosemary's Baby, and what was the other one? Repulsion. Repulsion. Um, Where can I watch those? So Rosemary's Baby, I think, is on Paramount Plus. Ugh, I don't. Matt, you have that right? Yeah, I have it. We can hook you up if you need it, Paris. Cool. I probably and will because uh, I'm not going to fucking buy that shit. I'm pretty sure I can get it on my Voodoo for two bucks, so I will do that for us okay. all. Oh, actually, I'm so dumb. I forgot to ask you guys where you watched um, Perfect Blue because uh, Kurt and I, Kurt has the Blu-ray, so we watched it on Blu-ray and it was beautiful. Oh, look at you! I also um, watched it on Blu-ray. Oh, wow! Fuck. Look at you. <laughs> I own. Yeah. I celebrate the whole Satoshi Kon catalog on Blu-ray. Okay. Yeah, honestly, I would. I would do the whole the whole catalog Ooh. on Blu-ray. It's worth Have it. You guys Those hand-drawn this... panels. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this steelbook from Shout Factory of Perfect Blue? Pretty huge. No, I do have the steelbook for Millennium Actress, though. I don't think it's Shout Factory. Pretty I got it at Target. <laughs> Wait, what's the steelbook? I don't know what you guys. I hate no, steelbooks. No. <laughs> Well, we don't need to get into it. Steel books are trash. No, just no, Google no. them. But sometimes, you know, they're ch- <laughs> okay, sometimes they're thanks. on sale. Just fucking Google it. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it's not worth get, opening that. I'm trying to go to bed. It's 11. I watched here. it on Voodoo. <laughs> I have it on Voodoo for the record. Um, okay. But hold on really quick. We do have to open this up a little bit. Apparently, mm-hmm. according to Blu-ray.com, there's two cuts of Perfect Blue in the original oh. Blu-ray release. So did Hold you on. guys? Well, Matt and I probably watched the same one. It, it's it's. Did you watch a different one? Or is it like English cut, Japanese cut? Like, what are we doing here? I don't know what what are the. I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to read. Well, well, I'm sure that there's a different <laughs> version. Like like Matt, did you watch it with subtitles or did you watch it dubbed? I watched it with subtitles. Uh, same. Travis? Hmm. Uh, subtitled. Okay. Only option I had. 
Okay. Uh, See, Matt and I could have, on the Blu-ray, you can watch it dubbed, which I think the first time I did watch it dubbed, actually. Maybe the, that's what they're calling the extra cut. Maybe. The, the yeah, default is I'm, the dubbed version. I started it, and it was dubbed, and I was like, what the fuck? And so I had to change it, but... Oh, in 1999, the MPAA refused an R rating to Perfect Blue because it was so violent. So an unrated director's cut is available. So we probably all watched all watched the regular version. Watched? The, we watched it. So the MPAA <laughs> called Perfect Blue the most violent animated film we have ever seen. Quote, unquote. That was in 1999. Wow, uh, it is pretty. It's pretty graphic, you know. That was also nineteen ninety nine. Was also twenty three years ago now. So, I'm sure they've seen others. Well, watch the director's cut. Let me know if there's any extra like photo shoot sequences <laughs> I don't... or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know the good stuff. I might oh be interested. <laughs> uh, wait. So, what is the theme of your picks? Just like trash directors for trash people. Yeah, pretty much. It's a series I'm starting. Next is going to be Eli Roth. <laughs> I'm going to call it in my notes. I'm calling it Trash Directors for Trash People. <laughs> Beautiful. This uh, The next episode is sponsored by Ricky Gervais. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, all right. Let's get out of here. What are you guys saying? All right. Shut her down. All right. Thank you, everybody, <laughs> for listening. Shout out to Kurt for producing the theme music for this fine show. Thank you, Kurt. Um, that's going to do it. We'll see you next time. Uh, stay spooky. Stay scared. Stay slaying.